Hello everyone, welcome back to the Vegan Spire podcast. This is episode number 11. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas time and I also hope that you enjoyed the Christmas special episode of the podcast featuring Daryl. So let's get straight into today's episode. Okay, so welcome back everybody. Thank you very much again for joining me on another episode of the Vegan Spire podcast. And today we have a topic which is rarely covered within the animal rights movement. And so I thought this would be a very good opportunity to talk about it and raise awareness. So as we know, veganism is commonly seen by non-vegans as a dietary choice. But of course, as vegans and animal rights activists, we know that this is only a very small piece of the puzzle. Animals are routinely exploited, abused and sadly killed for many other immoral reasons such as human entertainment, clothing and even healthcare related products. And to be honest, until fairly recently I thought that the way we treat animals is deemed acceptable in today's society due to the fact that we are so, so disconnected from the abuse itself. And so something I think we've heard many times is the fact that we are so disconnected from uh, the reality of where this abuse originates. But in reality, I don't think we're as disconnected as we would quite like to believe. And of course, I mean this in the sense that animal abuse has been integrated into almost every aspect of our lives. Unless we stand up and educate others about our immorality towards animals, our actions actually suggest that these forms of abuse are acceptable. And so back to being disconnected, I think that this is partly true when we talk about the meat and dairy industry, for example, but being disconnected is simply a choice. I think it's simply down to the fact that we continue to pay others to kill on our behalf, even though we are unwilling to see the shocking reality that we inflict on others. I don't think we can continue to use this excuse of disconnection when talking about abuse such as horse racing, This happens right in front of our own eyes and on our TV screens, yet we continue to bet on so-called winners. In reality, there are no winners within horse racing, and so if you haven't already realised, today's episode is going to be about the inherent exploitation and abuse involved within the horse racing industry, an industry that is rarely exposed for what it really is. Something I just find quite interesting that I will just point out before we get straight into the topic today is the fact that we all claim to love horses. We all claim to love animals, in fact. Um, But yet we continue to hand them their death sentence on a daily basis for things that we totally do not need in today's society. Um, I mean, we value entertainment over the lives of these animals. So how hypocritical is it for us to then uh, claim to care about the lives of these horses whilst we simultaneously, again, hand them their death sentence? And I know there's probably quite a few people listening to this episode and they're already thinking, what do you mean? Horses don't die because of horse racing or uh, this form of entertainment. But I think this is why it's such an important topic to cover because there's so many misconceptions and just blatant things that are so obvious in front of our own eyes. And I think hopefully this podcast should help to open up people's minds uh, and see the abuse that's right in front of us. Firstly, I think it's important to acknowledge exactly how we currently view horse racing as a whole and the kind of ideas that we're sold by the industry themselves. And so, for generations, the racing industry has been marketed as glamorous. In fact, horse racing is actually known as the sport of kings. It's known as a place where rich and famous people congregate to have a good day out. 
But it's just really interesting, isn't it? I mean, we only look at these things or entertainment as a whole on a very surface level basis. We think of it as a form of entertainment or a day out, but never much more than that. Even personally, I remember going to a local track and having a meal and watching a night of racing. We bet on these animals and their jockeys. And if we win, great. But if not, then whatever, right? We continue to have a great evening and then we just go home. But very rarely do we ever consider what life must be like for those that we oppress. And no, I'm not talking about the trainers or jockeys here. I'm talking about the horses themselves. I mean, the animals are the only ones in this cycle that ultimately have no choice or say in this so-called sport. And when you think about it, this sport is one that controls almost every aspect and waking moment of their lives. Just like we've talked about before on the podcast, animal abuse has been normalised to the point where it's almost invisible to people who unknowingly contribute towards it. It amazes me that activists are still out here trying to convince people not to be cruel to others. I honestly don't think that horse racing is any different in this aspect. We are sold the idea that racehorses are the best treated animals of all. This is almost known as a fact if you'd like. They've reassured us time and time again, but this is why I'm here today to talk about the reality that has been quite conveniently hidden from us. And a quick point I would like to make before we dive into the lives behind the racing industry is anytime animals are used in order to make money, exploitation and abuse is pretty much guaranteed. Again, I highly doubt any of these industries would operate if they didn't bring in a profit. It's simply down to the money, the same as the meat and dairy industries that we've discussed before. These things do not benefit the animals involved a single bit. So let's talk about the life of a racehorse from beginning to end. How on earth does this all start? Well, similar to the way we breed so-called livestock animals for food, the breeding of racehorses is also highly unnatural and disgusting. As I mentioned earlier, we're often sold this idea, aren't we, that racehorses are animals that receive the greatest welfare of all. Again, this is an absolute lie. Stallions, for example, typically live a life of isolation and soulless routine, and not a nice one at that. What's crazy to me is that during the six-month breeding season, a stallion can be bred with three mares a day, which is obviously highly, highly unnatural. Racehorses are typically confined to their stables for much of the day, and they're only released for short, intense periods of exercise or to travel, which often involves travelling great distances to and from race meetings. Some horses are actually confined for such long periods with food bought to them that some even have to be taught to eat grass once their racing days are over. And so, female breeding horses are injected with drugs and endure long periods exposed to artificial lighting during winter, which is designed to control and speed up reproduction. Naturally, mares in the wild have one foal every two years after a pregnancy lasting 11 months. The racing industry forces many mares to produce a foal every year until late in life, a burden of almost constant pregnancy. Many of the defective newborns are slaughtered for meat, but it's not much better for those that do enter the racing scene as they often suffer a high level of fatal injuries or stress-related illnesses such as gastric ulcers and bleeding lungs. So, each year in the UK, approximately 13,000 foals are bred into the British and Irish racing industry, which is just mental, isn't it? But why is this number so big? I mean, a very small percentage of these horses ever make it as far as a racetrack to begin with. Basically, owners and breeders are hooked on the thought of producing a champion horse, a horse that only holds the desired genetic traits of a true racehorse. Sadly, as I said, the percentage of horses that possess these traits are incredibly low 
and so horses that undoubtedly don't make it are often discarded. I'm sure you can guess what this term means. And so I'm sure you've already gathered by now, but the horse racing industry is absolutely ruthless. For example, in Britain, three times as many horses are being born than 40 years ago, and this number has risen from 5,465 to over 16,000. Although this number has risen, a decrease in proportion, currently only about 35% are sufficiently healthy enough to actually start racing. A huge proportion will never even make it to the track, and while modern day horse breeding is basically a production line which produces successful racehorses, it also produces what the industry likes to call failures. These animals are seen as non-viable and are then used at lower grade events or are simply slaughtered for meat, abandoned or fed to hunting dogs. And so the breeding trend now is to breed for speed which comes at the expense of skeletal strength and general robustness. This will become more obvious when we talk about some of the injuries and causes of death within horse racing later in this episode. And so, in the past, horses were bred with specific characteristics. Some horses would be bred for racing on the flats, whilst others would be bred for races that include jumps. The problem is, today, breeders simply aim to produce what they call a one-size-fits-all horse who are forced to race in all circumstances. These horses are often inbred for optimal performance on standard courses that only last a mile or sometimes two furlongs. And because the breeders focus solely on the speed, there has been a huge increase in injuries and deaths. There is already evidence that a fragile and weaker thoroughbred is emerging. And I mean, doesn't this just show that the industry doesn't care about the animals at all? And as expected, it all boils down to the profits yet again. And so, even though we've been talking about how these animals were exploited and bred in the first place, the consequences are felt especially by horses that are entered into jump racing. This sector is responsible for 80% of racecourse fatalities, and again, animals racing on the flat also suffer a high casualty rate. Typically, among a group of 100, one fracture will occur every month. Typically, racehorses die or are killed as a result of broken limbs, necks, severe tendon injuries, spinal injuries and even heart attacks, which are also pretty common. In fact, one horse dies on a British racecourse every two days of racing, even though these deaths are rarely reported in the media. Something I just found astonishing when I was researching further into the lives of these racehorses was that serious racing-related illnesses such as bleeding lungs and gastric ulcers are now also common. Something that just really shocked me was that 82% of flat racehorses older than three years of age actually suffer from bleeding lungs. Um, bleeding lungs can cause blood to leak from the nostrils and gastric ulcers are also present in around 93% of horses in training. So look out for blood leaking from the nostrils next time you see racing on the television. And so another worrying aspect within horse racing is that horses all over the world are becoming increasingly dependent on drugs to enable them to race without breaking down and to simply mask and suppress symptoms of injury. These drugs allow a rapid return to racing but can and does often result in serious long-term damage. And one so-called masking substance is a powerful steroid called MPA, which is usually given to young racehorses who suffer lameness due to punishing training regimes. This product actually appears on a very long list of drugs banned by the racing authorities in Britain, but as always, there is always a loophole when it comes to abusing animals. And for some reason, this product is not illegal when found whilst horses are still training, which just says it all, doesn't it? 
Another common drug called Bute, which is an anti-inflammatory drug that is widely used in Britain to treat bone, tendon, joint and muscular injuries, is used to mask the pain that is a natural and protective reaction to the injuries these horses face. Horses that don't find success within flat-based races are often forced into races that involve jumps or hurdles, and as a consequence, they run a considerable risk of suffering fatal injury when they do fall. The vast majority of the 370-plus horses who die while racing or training each year in Britain are connected to national jump racing, and again, this is because flat racehorses are selectively bred for speed rather than for skeletal strength. This can actually be clearly shown at UK races such as Cheltenham in 2006. So 11 horses died at the event during racing and after analysis from Animal Aid, it later came out that all of these horses were raised as flat-based racers and therefore died during jumping. Three of the horses were killed due to a broken leg, one died in the night due to injuries that could not be healed and the others died from broken necks or backs. What really gets to me the most is the fact that any deaths within horse racing are hardly ever mentioned during the race or on TV. We see the screens pop up around the injured horse whilst they're shot and again, we're at home watching this happen right in front of our own eyes. How can we be so blind to something that is so inherently abusive and immoral? And so something I'd just like to add is the fact that we also watch jockeys whip horses on live television. Imagine if you saw somebody whipping a dog. Would this be something that you'd like to carry on funding? Something I just don't understand is how is it that as soon as these animals step foot on a racetrack, whipping is somehow justified? I mean, in any other circumstance, this would be considered abuse. Whipping doesn't offer the horses motivation. These animals are simply driven by fear. So the whip is probably one of the main reasons that people are against horse racing, even non-vegans. So let's talk about the rules of whipping horses during racing. So in 2009, the so-called padded whip was introduced. But again, this doesn't actually mean much for the animals that are involved. And personally, I think that the padded whip just seems like one of those things that is implemented in order to portray the idea that, again, the industry cares for these animals. Surely, if this were the case, it would be beneficial to not hit the horses at all. And so, before the padded whip was introduced, a plain leather whip was used. Isn't this just such a weird concept? I'm sure if you're vegan, you'll agree, but claiming to care about animals while simultaneously hitting them with something that is made from the skin torn from a tortured animal is again just really, really paradoxical, isn't it? So, although it could be argued that the padding does provide some form of cushioning, the main aspect is the force of which jockeys hit the horses in the first place. Often, it's not just the leather part that actually whips the horse, it's also the shaft of the whip which has no padding at all. Even the padded portion of the whip has a stitched edge that forms a hard edge and can be used to make impact on the horse and potentially cause as much pain as a non-padded whip anyway. And again, Something I'm surprised I even have to mention is that whipping animals full stop is not okay. Similar to the meat, dairy and egg industries, we shouldn't be looking for a nice way to do the wrong thing, something that is blatantly cruel and abusive. The rules surrounding whips within horse racing has been relaxed time and time again since they were introduced in 2009. There is a limit on how many times jockeys are able to whip horses during racing, but in the last 100 metres or so, these rules and all care for the well-being of animals go out the window. There are no rules of whipping within the last 100 metres, meaning that jockeys can hit the horses as many times as they like in order to win the race. And so rules are constantly broken anyway as the industry does little to actually enforce them. 
The reward of winning can far outweigh the fines received for breaching rules and owners have publicly stated that they will pay their jockeys whipping fines because they want their horses to win. There is absolutely no doubt that the whip has been responsible for countless injuries and deaths within horse racing. The purpose of the whip, after all, is to make the horses run faster when fatigued while not having any benefit to the horse, jockey, trainer or owner. Okay, so moving on to another hot topic in this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about the tongue tie. So tongue ties are not regularly talked about and so I just wanted to raise awareness as this was something that I really, really found shocking when I first saw it. So tongue ties are usually made from leather straps or elastic bands which are then used to strap the horse's tongue to their lower jaw. The immobilisation of a horse's tongue is practised in the racing industry to prevent the horse from working their tongue back and over the bit. Tongue ties are used as horses are easier to control when the bit is above the tongue. Pressure is applied on the bit via the reins causing discomfort to the horse's tongue which in turn forces them to be compliant. Again, this is just one of the main things I absolutely hate about horse racing in general is just the fact that we feel the need to have such control over these animals in the first place. And so something important to note here is that tongue ties are actually unregulated, which means trainers decide how tight and how long the tie is in place and vets are not required before or after the use of a tongue tie. Again, this just says it all, doesn't it? I mean, This is another one of those things that doesn't benefit the horse at all, but does benefit the jockey. It has been argued that the tongue tie does help horses to breathe, but again, this would only be the case when horses are pushed far beyond their limit, which shouldn't be happening to begin with. So, around 250 horses die on the racetrack each year in Britain alone. The number of horses killed in training due to injury or not making the grade is unknown, We actually have five horse slaughterhouses here in the UK, which I know many people are unaware of. If you're interested, I'd actually suggest looking at this yourself. Check out a website called Racehorse Death Watch. This website tries to expose every fatality in Britain, and I just wanted to go through and talk about some of the injuries and causes of death, as there is a common theme, and many of them are really shocking. So the first horse is Big Country. He collapsed during the race and died. Commotion and Le Crunch both arrived with serious lameness. Commander Han collapsed after the race and died. And Percy B finished the race lame. There are actually hundreds of injuries that resulted in death on this website and the most common reasons for deaths are breaking limbs, collapsing, lameness and just falling in general. What's truly shocking is the lack of information regarding how many animals are slaughtered at the end of their career. The so-called retirement scheme. So I've searched absolutely everywhere for this information, but the fact is that thousands of horses are completely untraceable once they leave the racing scene, which makes a true slaughter figure real hard to estimate. UK organisation Animal Aid carried out a study in 2006. They tracked the lives of 7,500 horses that left the British racing scene that year. And I mean, that number alone is just crazy, isn't it? Just as many horses that enter racing also leave. After the two-year period, 852 were reported dead whilst a huge 2,400 could not be accounted for, which just sounds super, super sketchy to me. Here is where the interesting bit starts though. I've found some quotes online from people within the racing industry that are able to give us a clearer view on what really happens. So, first of all, Mike McBaron is one of America's most prolific kill buyers, which are people who buy racehorses and sell them to slaughterhouses. 
McBarron acknowledged that he has bought and sold retired racehorses for slaughter. He has sent tens of thousands of horses to slaughterhouses and generated millions of dollars in revenue. So here is a quote I found from Mike himself. And he says, It's just a job to me. I don't attach myself to them. I don't fall in love with them. And I mean, doesn't this just show the attitude of people who are directly involved within the industry yet again? And according to Alex Waldrop, who is president of the National Thoroughbred Racing Association, an estimated 7,500 thoroughbreds a year are slaughtered for human consumption globally. And lastly, John Holland, who is president of the Equine Welfare Alliance, says, The problem is that the entire racing industry is a conveyor belt for slaughter. They just keep cranking them out. And so, whilst the number of how many horses are sent to slaughter each year in the UK is hard to estimate, the number is incredibly high. Again, it's just so suspicious that so many racehorses are just simply untraceable. Many thoroughbreds that are slaughtered are also exported and end up in restaurants and markets throughout Asia and Europe, which might explain why so many are untraceable. So that's it for today's episode, everybody. That is the reality that nobody wants to tell us. The reality for thousands of racehorses each year. So please stop demanding this clear act of violence towards animals. Our entertainment and personal gain shouldn't come at the expense of others. Most racehorses are bought and sold several times over during the course of their careers, traded and treated like common Amazon products. Please stop funding these industries. And so, I hope you have learned or gained something from today's episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through, and don't forget to follow Vegan Spy on Facebook and Instagram for regular updates.